The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. So we do welcome our online listeners. Today we are on number 105 in our Identity for Eternity series. You know what that means, listeners? Including today, there's 105 messages already ready for you to listen to out of our library, just on this topic, identity. Plus, there's a host of other topics. There's topics on marriage. There's topics on manhood. There's topics on on uh, the end times. There's topics. There's tons of topics in that library that could uh, be of great interest to you. So that's what those that number means when we put it in front of our title. And then you're also going to see another number that is connected to the podcast, and that's part eleven, part twelve, part thirteen, or whatever. And that is the subcategories underneath Identity for Eternity. Our subcategory we've been dealing with is True Grace. And so the number that you see on the podcast next to 105, True Grace, part whatever, is that this is a series that you need to be listening to each one of those messages because they roll into each other. If you are just picking up on the latest one, that's awesome. But we'd encourage you to go back, scroll back down to number one, and move forward to whatever number you're on today. So we've been talking about the compliments of grace. And today, specifically, we're going to reveal to you the regeneration of grace in the believer. Now, if you take the R-E off of regeneration, you have generation. generation. Now, you can look at generation from two basic Latin definitions. You want to guess at what those might be? So, generate. In America, we took that Latin word and we came up with the word generator. What's a generator? Okay, produces power. So another definition is generation, which is what? Huh? To produce people. Produce people. To have a generation is one full lifespan, forty years. If you live to be eighty years of age, you have lived. Two generations. Now when we put regeneration, re in front of the generation, what would that mean? Back. Again. Born again. That's what regeneration is. It's taking your present generation and it's acknowledging that that generator is broke. It's no longer able to generate power to your life. 
So to be regenerated in Christ Jesus, there is a new power source being brought to your generator, your spirit. But it actually works again. And it is generating power and life through your generator, your spirit has been made new and made alive again so that you can see, feel, experience as our song in worship today said, Lord, cause me to feel your Holy Spirit so we can be a part of that release of the power of God in our lives. Regeneration. Let's take a look at it in a deeper way. In regeneration, the grace activity of God enacts His divine life within the generator, the Spirit, of the, excuse me, Divine life within the spirit of an individual upon the response of the gift of faith of Christ. So as Jack learned this morning that the Lamb of God revealed to him, we have given you this gift of faith. You don't even have to drum it up, pray about it, practice it, memorize it, do a study on it. You have it. It's been given to you as a gift. So that is, as my, one of my old mentors said, it's like taking the wires and putting brand new connections of, between God and the spirit of man, putting brand new connections on that generator. And that connection brings that power down and into this generator and the generator produces power and life for the individual. Those wires are the faith. And they're provided by God. They're rust-proof. And they are going to last for eternity. They cannot deteriorate through the fall of man anymore. It's perfect connection. So in such a conversion, Christ's followers, now let's keep this in mind, this is such an interesting thing to some of our online listeners. 602-292-2982. This is such an interesting connection to our online listeners. Is that unbelievers are actually Christ followers before they receive the Holy Spirit. It is impossible not to be a Christ follower right before you're saved. It's why you get saved. You're interested in Christ. You're kind of following Him so that you can make the decision of being regenerated. Are you with me? So everyone who is getting ready to receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ is a Christ follower. And the way I determine as a disciple or someone truly is getting ready to be saved is if they were following Christ before they prayed that prayer. But if there was no interest, now I'm not saying there's not these miraculous split-second decisions, because there are. 
But typically how it works is someone becomes very interested in Christ. And they start asking questions and they're, they're drawn to Christ for this decision. That is a Christ follower. What Satan has done is he's, tooken, he's taken this Christ follower idea, concept. And he's turned it into Christianity. And if someone is a Christ follower, they get the label of being a Christian sitting in the pew. There's someone listening right now. We're driving down the freeway and you're listening to this podcast. And you think that you are an indwelt believer because you've been a Christ follower. In fact, you're driving to church. And I'm here to tell you that when you get to that church and you get out of that car and walk into that church and sit in that pew and listen to that preacher, that does not guarantee that you are indwelt by the life of Jesus Christ. You're a Christ follower, but you're going to hell. Now you are given the privilege, the gift of faith, to be drawn to Christ. So if you're in that awkward stage of being drawn to Christ, but you don't have the indwelling life of Christ, listen carefully at 602-292-2982. God may be leading you to make that final decision of being indwelt and not just a Christ follower. In such a conversion, Christ followers have their dead spirit regenerated, their dead generator regenerated, made alive by way of the grace activity of God in Christ, which is now in you, if you are indwelt by Jesus. It says right here in Acts 15, 11, We are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. We are saved by the grace activity of God in Christ. And of course, being a Christ follower is pretty critical for this final decision. I believe the message, and I talked to a couple of my grace friends. We have this new buzz thing we do with each other. It's really a lot of fun. On our video that we produce for this this new mini-series, do you remember what was on the bottom right corner? GTU. GTU. So we're signing our, our, our text messages and our emails GTU. And we're finding that people are responding with, what, what do you mean by that? Oh, grace to you. And it opens up this opportunity of discussion. So some of you listeners, if you want to have a little fun this week, go into your auto signatures of your text messaging and put your regular name, comma, GTU. G with the number 2, U. See if you get any responses this week. Or put it on your email signature. Those are fun little things that God gives us as ideas to get a discussion going to talk to people about this. That is, if you're prepared. Scriptures also say in 2 Timothy 1.9 is that he saved us and called us with the holy calling according to his purpose. 
and grace which was granted in Christ Jesus. Jesus couldn't become grace until it was granted to him, then put in him. And he couldn't put it in you as a Christ follower until you become indwelt by him. It says in Ephesians 2, five, uh, verses 5 and 8, For by grace we have been saved through faith. Those, those wires that are connecting the power of the living God to your generator. Let's talk about the grace activity. Produces justification. Could someone here in our local body share with us what justification means? Just as if you never sinned. How in the world would that be possible? I mean, for actually God to look at you and say you've never sinned? So we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and we have the righteousness of Christ? We are the righteousness of Christ. My mentor uh, texted me yesterday and he said, I need to make sure we are perfectly clear on this. It is critical that in everything you're working on, every video, every music, piece of music, every article, that you're emphasizing one primary truth with the exchanged life outside of the fact of the indwelling life of Jesus. And he said that the indwell believer is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You cannot embrace your brand new past unless you understand the perfect truth that you are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not something you have. You are this. Simultaneously, the grace activity God in Jesus Christ affects the just as if I have never sinned of the believer. It says in Romans 3.24, justified as a gift by His grace. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It also tells us in Titus 3 7, we are just as if we have not sinned, justified by his grace. Justification must not be considered as only a legal or positional declaration of righteousness, which God has put on the heavenly books. In other words, you got your ticket in your pocket. Or even to claim that so that you can explain your position in Christ. A biblical understanding of justification must always convey the ongoing activity of God's righteousness in the indwelt Christian by His grace. So Western theology in general has tended to develop an external event-centered concept of grace, tying grace either to the object or an objective event. And that 
is heard if you listen carefully. A lot of people are saying, when I was baptized is when I really understood the grace of God. Or I was driving down the road and God clearly made this day forward you shall. And they tie it to these events because here's what we do. A lot of people when they get saved, they write that, that time and date in their Bibles, right? And then when the enemy is tempting them and saying you're not saved and ha ha ha, you're just a big fake, they go to the, the first page of their Bible and they see that, okay, I was saved on January 14, you know, 1965. That is an event way of thinking. Where in reality, all of God wants to do in and through Christ Jesus inside you is to have you look in the rearview mirror. Now most people, because of the lies of the devil, they look in the rearview mirror and what do they see? Their past. Every stupid thing they've ever done. And so their past is plugging them. Why is it that children typically are bored with truth? They have no past yet. See, they have to live off of the truth of mommy and daddy because they really have no past yet. So we've got to keep that in mind when we're instructing and training up our children. Now, I've shared with you many times of how I've admired Abby, my eldest daughter, and how she's handled her children with salvation and lack of it. And as a little one like Wyatt would get on her lap and she would have to deal with some problem behavior or whatever, she would basically communicate, well, honey, until you receive Jesus Christ into your life and become an indwelt Christian, you're going to act like someone who is supporting the devil or sin or whatever terms that she would use. Well, we got the great news last night that Wyatt wanted to receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. And it was all from him, not by trying to lead this child to Christ by force or, you know, because of the fear of the parents. It was the Spirit. That's how you raise children. When they're acting up and they're unsaved, don't give them compliments for acting like Satan. Show them the difference. The reason why these things take place is because you don't have the indwelling life of Christ in you yet. It's, and it's okay because your day of salvation is appointed to you. Until the, the faith wires are put on your generator and the Holy Spirit decides to connect to them, you, you've got nothing. I don't care how much theology you've got going for you or that you've taught your children. That's why it's annoying to watch Christian parents tell their children to reconcile. They have no power of forgiveness in them. So then do I get them to say, well, apologize to your brother. No, you just simply say, I was wrong. For what I did to you. And then if they are in dwell, you lead them in, will you please forgive me? Or, if you want to develop a solid pattern, 
and you do lead your children to seek forgiveness from other people and to give forgiveness, you better make sure that it's temporary and not eternal if they're not saved. But see, most parents haven't been trained in the Word and how to use the Word to train up their children, so therefore they use the Word like it's some kind of weapon. Now I want you to memorize these five verses for doing that. Okay, every time I read Ephesians 3, 1 through, 1 through 3, I, 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 I view it as a punishment. That's an awesome idea. So when they turn 13 years of age, they hate the Word of God. That'll work. You see what we've done? The Word of God is alive and well and lives in the believer. So parenting is just the law. That's all it is. And the law is to lead that child to salvation. Tough things to understand. We love to make grace an external centered concept. Tying grace with either the object or the objective event of redemptive grace or to the subjective event of conversion through grace. Saving grace or justifying grace. Limiting grace to the historical event or to a calendar event of decision making creates a static, lifeless concept of grace. By the grace of God, I was saved January 14, 1962. You just make Jesus static. Static. You see, to make it alive is the same thing with those of you who check out a lot of websites. Does anyone know the difference between an interactive website and a static website? It's only two kinds that any company will ever offer you. The difference is, is that interactive website, there's a human being monitoring everything that's happening. And a static site is a human being will go check on their numbers once in a while. Doesn't breathe with the person. When you take your mouse over IOM America, I can guarantee you that everywhere that mouse is going, it's alive. And it's calculating. Where your mouse is combing over. You ever see those little boxes that pop up when you take your mouse over some part of a website? We're gathering your number. We're gathering your IP. We're gathering, we want you to click on that so we can start another whole layer. That's how the internet works. That is a live website. Same thing with Christianity. There are those who got this static thing going on, is that I was saved on January 14, 1962. Everything's an event. Everything is static. So then they wonder in their 40s why they just don't feel the presence of God. Well, you're static. Your life is as stale as a, as a, as a static pond of water. 
That's why. Jesus is alive. And he lives inside you. And anyone who mouses over your life should get interaction of the Holy Spirit within you who monitors absolutely 100% of everything that goes on in your life. We know the things of technology because of the things that we realize and learn about real life events. That's how it works. To tie grace particularly to a space and time event is to miss the continuous dynamic of God's grace activity in the living Lord Jesus Christ who lives inside you, hopefully. We must avoid this event-centered concept of grace that casts God's action primarily into a past tense perspective, which puts Jesus in the past tense. So here's grace based for identity. The Christian lives day by day by the grace activity of God. Day by day by the grace activity of God. The entire sanctification process whereby God's holy character, which is the law, is manifested in our behavior, is enacted by God's grace. Well, I thought the goal was to get rid of this law. Why would we want this? If God's character is the law, why do we want God's character activated in us as indwell believers? I thought the law was done away with, finished. So, Jess, why do you stop at a red light? Because that's the law of the land. (laughs) Okay. How come you don't go out and stab someone that you don't like? Because you go to jail. (laughs) You see, the law is alive in us. And that and because it's murdering. The law is alive in us. It is not dead in us. So the reason why we don't do certain things and do do certain things is because the law is alive. And we want to allow the character of God, the law, to come forth from us through Jesus doing the bringing it forward because he's the one that fulfilled it. So the ability not to stab the person you hate should come from Christ in you saying, that's not how we're going to handle this problem. So the law is alive. It's fulfilled. It's active in you. And so is the grace activity of God, which cuts in some slack. This is why Paul encourages indwelt Christians to, quote-unquote, continue in the grace of God. It is not a one-timer. It is a continuance activity. That's out of Acts 13.43. So we also learn in Titus 2.11 and 12, it says, The grace of God has appeared, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly, which means as God does in the present age. 
And it is done by how we're explaining this. Second Peter 3.18 says we, we progressively, quote unquote, grow in grace. This grace is activity of God is like the, the green growth stuff that is poured upon the plant. It's what causes the growth in your day-to-day, continuous, grace-upon-grace lifestyle. God's grace activity is the basis of our indwelt Christian identity. Quote-unquote, what am I am what I am by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10 Our identity is given to us through the grace activity that God did in Jesus Christ. So Christ, what that means is that Christ has the identity of His Father. Because God's grace activity is inside Jesus. So your driver's license if you pull that license out to show your identity, that driver's license is like the wedding ring so that you walk the street and someone looks at your hand and says, well, she's married, he's married. It's an identity marker. It's your driver's license to say this is who I am. I am who I am because of the grace of God. God's grace is the basis of our standing. It says, quote-unquote, this grace in which we stand, Romans 5.12. So as we're standing firm in what we're saying, it's because of the pillar that holds us up and in place when we're wanting to, to cower away. It is the grace that causes us to stand firm and be bold and present the truth to others. God's grace is the basis of our behavior. It says, quote-unquote, in the grace of God we have conducted ourselves in the world. 2 Corinthians 1.12 So, when you have contact, good contact between the Holy Spirit and the faith wires, now the regeneration process in that generator, you've got a good conduit. You've got good connection. You've got straight power running through. And that's what grace gives us. It's not inhibited. God's grace is the basis of our victorious living. By the quote-unquote abundance of grace we reign in life through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17 to reign means you have authority. doesn't mean you have control. It means you have authority. To reign in life is to have authority in life. To be bold, immovable, you know your job, you know what's been given to you, and you do it. That's to reign in life. That too is done by grace. In 1 Peter 3, 7 it says, Grace of life. It also says God's grace is the basis of righteousness expressed in our behavior and that's quote unquote grace might reign through righteousness. Romans 5 21. 
all equaling, all of this that we just covered equals our identity. So if you want to put subcategories under your identity, you would put these subcategories. Who I am, how I stand and what I stand by, all my behavior, having the authority to live in life, living victoriously, and literally expressing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, all because of identity. Grace, God's grace, is the basis of holiness. Quote, unquote, he says right here in 2 Timothy 1.9, he says, He called us with a holy calling, according to His purpose and His grace. God's grace is the basis of our strength for living. It says in 2 Timothy 2.1, Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. For it is, quote-unquote, is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Hebrews 13.9 And then God's grace is the basis of our speech. Let your speech always be with grace. Colossians 4.6 One of the most confusing passages that are used in the emergent church today is people think that having your speech flavored with grace, it means mercy. If you flavor your speech with mercy, you're going to get something totally different than flavoring your speech with true grace. Which literally, hopefully as we've learned now by all of these different sermons on true grace, we realize that true grace is not imparting mercy. It's the result of it. It's the result of receiving mercy. So when we're communicating with others to have our speech flavored with grace, we're communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ is showing you too can have this. So when someone is talking about their sins or, you know, blah, 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 and then the, the evil world they're living in, you don't make it light. You don't throw God's mercy at them. Because that'll just relax them and make them feel okay and they'll just continue going to hell. You need to have them understand what true grace really is. And then I can have my speech with true grace because I have received the mercy of God because Christ is the mercy of His Father and that mercy is put in Him and it was through the grace activity of God that He got out of the whole deal. And now that lives inside me. And you too can have this. But if you do not receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, there is no grace for you. At 602-292-2982, I'd like to have someone explain that to me. Because I believe very few people can explain the difference between grace and mercy. God's grace is the basis of our sufficiency, everything we need. And here's the quote, my grace is sufficient for you, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 91 years after Jesus died on the cross, he shows up, red letters, doesn't have a long sermon for Paul, 
Paul just made the announcement. He said, could this demon, this messenger of Satan, leave me alone? And Jesus' response is, for my grace is sufficient for you. (coughs) You see, what Paul was not asking for was mercy. He was wanting the results of mercy. And he was wanting this messenger of Satan to leave them alone. And God is basically helping Paul understand something here. That the way that Paul grows in grace, because my grace is sufficient for you, it's enough for you, it's everything you need. So, in order for you to grow in grace, I need this wicked looking character buffeting you, breaking you down. So that you can say the words you're about to say that's going to come out of your mouth right now, Paul. And what did Paul say? Okay. Therefore, I will boast of my weaknesses that the power of God may be known and evident. The power of God will get to those faith cords and regenerate. Because there's power in weakness. Now that's a man that understands true grace. Not constantly asking to be delivered from it. God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And then God's grace is the basis of dealing with the trials, tribulations, and hardships of life. Here's what it says, quote, Grace to help in time of need, Hebrews 4.16. 1 Peter 5.10 says, You have suffered for a little while. The God of all grace will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So the next time that you are asking to be delivered from a weakness, this is what you're asking to be kept from you. I'll say it again. The next time you ask to be delivered from a weakness, this is what you're asking to be kept from you. Perfect will, confirmed in your faith, strengthened in your faith and established in your faith. You're asking for those things to be kept away from you. Why? Because you're a spoiled, rotten child who's demanding to have a better life than Jesus Christ. Think about this. How much of Christianity, and you'll notice this by listening to the way people pray this week. Listen carefully how people pray. If they're asking for deliverance of weakness, they're asking for deliverance of the life of Jesus. Instead of saying, Lord, 
teach me, show me how to embrace this weakness, that the power of you would be activated through my generator. So that I may have my faith confirmed, that I may have your perfect will birthed in my soul, that I may have the strength of Jesus Christ. How much nastier can it get than what Paul just talked about in the previous chapter before he came to this conclusion? Beaten times without number, shipwrecked, tortured, ridiculed. There's a whole list of in the scriptures of what Paul had been going through, how this messenger of Satan had been beaten the hell into him. And here was his conclusion that he would pray to have this weakness part from him. And this is how Christ responds inside of him. Now either we have a twisted Savior or there's a powerful principle being given to us. Because Christ didn't take this I feel sorry for you Paul business time. There was none of that. It was very simple. My grace is sufficient for you Paul. For power is perfected in your weaknesses. If you want this it has to stay. There's more beatings coming tomorrow, Paul. That's not the passage that necessarily burns my soul every time I read it. It's his end conclusion that gets me. Almost every time. Verse 10. Says that Paul's addressing the people by this point. He says, you know, you should have complimented me. But instead... You persecuted me. He's talking to the body of Christ. I should have commend, been commended by you, but no, that's not what you guys are doing. I have got to deal with all these distresses and persecutions and shipwrecks and whatever from this, this messenger of Satan, and then I've got to turn around and deal with you. But that's not how he ended it. He ended it with this. I am not inferior to the most eminent apostle. This identity statement. In other words, he's saying, you go find one apostle out there, and I am equal in power and strength and truth, or even more so than that apostle. Yet, what's the rest of it? I am a a nobody. Perfect balance of power and strength. Saying, there is no one better than me. But I'm a nobody. You see, that's the conclusion of this for Paul. Unbelievable. And that's why I say over and over, every time I read that passage, and it happened again this week, as I was sharing it with, with someone else, I say, God, I want to be like that. 
And I know it's through Christ Jesus and all, but you know, there are people that respond to the life of Christ and Jesus differently than the next one. It's kind of the point that's being made. I want to live this life right here. Then it must stay. Grace. God's grace is the basis of all Christian ministry. Rubber hits the road now. Quote, unquote, serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What's a manifold? Manifold is like multiplicity. When you fold metal, you get a sword. The more times you fold that metal, the stronger the metal is. A manifold is folded metal. It's a protection. It's a shield that guards you and, and, and keeps the outer from getting to the inner. So manifold grace has been beaten and folded and beaten and folded for you. God's grace is the basis of everything in Christian life. Even unto the future, God's grace is the operative, what works, in operation. That because God is eternal and His grace continues forever. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 1.13. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When's that? When you go from being a Christ follower to being indwelt by the living Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. It's a very distinct one, two, three. He's not abusive, so he's not going to force his way into your life. You can't grow into having him in your life. It is behold. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and dine with them. Wedding feast. God's grace is, uh, is as broad as God himself. His every expression. Grace must not be limited to redemptive grace or regenerative grace or conversion grace or justification grace. When grace is defined mostly by the benefits bestowed by God in Christ rather than the dynamic being of God in Christ, it reduces it to a fix-it external commodity rather than the ever-present and continuous dynamic of God's activity expressing His character through Christ in you. One stagnant and one is breathing. Oh God, if I could just bear witness to the fact that your children are going to get this. 
The grace activity of God always maintains consistency with the character of God. Duh. God never acts out of character. Duh. The character of Christ will be evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. Duh. And that is through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now here's where the challenge comes in. The challenge comes in when we are faced with how that fruit is manifested within each individual. Because if you take all of this and you do not put it in connection with the gifts of God that is in you, it will go emergent. Lukewarm. Laodicean. The Laodiceans have this. Do they have love? Supposedly. Yeah. Do they have joy? I love going to my favorite emergent church online and checking her service once in a while. They're jumping around. They're singing like us. They're holding their hands up high. And I'm going, what God, what God is? are they holding their hands to? Well, it depends on which symbol they're looking at. They have all this. Joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. They have it all. Better than most of us. So we really need to keep the fruit of the Spirit directly connected with the fruit of the big S. Spirit. Holy Spirit. Here's our identity matter statement today. Indwell Christianity is the grace activity of God. The gospel is the message of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Paul thus refers to it as the gospel of the grace of God. That's the true gospel. And that can be found in Acts 20, 24. And the quote-unquote word of his grace, which is Acts 14, 3. And writing to the Colossians, Peter, uh, Paul refers to the word of truth, the gospel. And they're having, quote-unquote, understood the grace of God in truth, which is actually translated out as to understood, to understand Jesus, the Son of God, in truth, which is in Christ Jesus. It's the only way to understand Him. It's the only way to get this. The Christ followers are just as dead Mentally of understanding what we've talked about today as, as a dog. Until the spirit of the living God opens their mind and gives them understanding, they're not going to get what we talked about today. That's a tough one. Grace is what distinguishes into all Christianity from all man-made religions that carry the name Christian, that's in quotes, as the activity of God in Christ functioning within humanity. Now through the bride of Christ, this everything that we have covered 
cannot be understood unless it's through the mind of Christ. Then the true focus has got to be in the gospel of grace has got to be, how do I get that mind? That should be the question you should be asking yourself, Christ follower. How do I get that mind so I can understand this stuff this guy's talking about? Because I'm not getting it. Well, I'm here to tell you, you're never going to get it. Unless you have the mind of Christ. Because the mind of Christ is what has eternal understanding of past, present, and future. Hebrews 13.8 It is imperative that we maintain a clear thought of true grace. Those of you who would like to make that next step and receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, we always like to print in our PDF that is next to the microphone on our podcast. If you open that up, you can see the very slides that we taught from today. And at the end of those slides, you'll see a sample prayer of salvation. Now, it's not the words that are going to lead you into Christ Jesus. This is just a sample. Read over it and pray over it. And then pray the words that are in your mind. But do not pray this prayer if it's because of guilt. Only pray this prayer if it is because the Holy Spirit is saying this is the moment of your salvation. Also, those of you who want further books and references to take a look at, which there's a list on the PDF uh, as well, these are books and articles and references that I make use of in order to give you these messages on true grace. I can tell you which ones are my favorite ones if you want to give me a text at 602-292-2982. Now we're going to go to questions and answers of our local body. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.